John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Accessed entry 1343.LK1428, certificate number 47967. The Truman Reconstruction. So, probably one of the most iconic buildings in the United States, if not the most iconic building, is the White House. Love seeing it in Doonesbury. Yep, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a main character in, in Doonesbury, the White House. He's my favorite Doonesbury character. He's always saying stuff. He's saying stuff. Bubbles are coming up, and it's always Haldeman or John Dean <laughs> saying something funny about Nixon. I love those guys. Yeah, pretty fun times. It's on the 20, right? Wait, the 20, is that right? Yeah, on the back of the 20. It stands in for the United States of America a lot of the time. It's, uh, we talk about things that come from the president as being from the White House. It's the example used in um, like seventh grade English classes to teach synecdoche and metonymy. Mm -hmm. White synecdoche and metonymy. And then they say, ah, well, what if somebody said the White House responded you would know they weren't talking about the mansion. That's right. It's even maybe more iconic than the Capitol, which is funny since the Capitol houses, you know. The Congress. Congress. Although the White House was built very early on in our nation's history, right? They started constructing it in 1792. And uh, every president since John Adams has lived in the White House. Whereas the Congress, the dome of the Congress building was still under construction during the Civil War. Right. It's funny when you see those Matthew Brady photos and they get to Washington and the dome isn't done. Yeah. It looks like the Death Star half completed. Are you guys going to do that in post or? <laughs> the White House was a contest, right? They had a design competition and an architect won. And I think it was discovered decades later that one of the rejected entries was actually a pseudonym for Thomas Jefferson. Who had entered the contest and... Uh, oh, wouldn't that have been nice? Well, I'm sure... He wanted to win on the merits, you can, know. Can you imagine how, how difficult it would have been to be Jefferson and, and all the ideas about America didn't come from you? It's like uh, he thought, if I just put Thomas Jefferson on the form, of course they'll let me do it. So right. I'll, I'll just... But my architectural ideas are so great, I can put Phineas T. Crabtree or whatever. I'm so surprised that, uh, that some American industrialist hasn't built Jefferson's design <laughs> for the White House as their like summer mansion. But you know, the design of Washington, D.C. was a contest. And you know, Washington, D.C. originally built on a swamp 
in the style of Brasilia. We're going to take a, we're going to build a city where none prior existed and, and build it out of whole cloth. And for, for compromise reasons, I assume it's neither New York nor Virginia. Phil- it's, Philadelphia it's in, was, it's in the middle was the original capital of the U S and it was, yeah, another example of, of trying to compromise between the slave States and the union or the, the, uh, we knew what you meant. Yeah, thank you. So the White House, when we think of it, I mean, it has remained not constant in exterior appearance, but the design of it was established pretty early. Jefferson added some colonnades, um, the round sort of uh, back. The, por- the portico The thing? portico in the back, and then also the, the lintels in the front there were all sort of added as in the initial like 50 years of the building. Well, the portico is not original. That's no, interesting. No, it was, uh, I mean, originally it was just a wedding cake, just a, just a long white box. And then this neoclassical Greek, sort of the colonnades were added. Well, I'd like to thank the British then for burning it down in well, 1812 because the, it looks, the portico looks great. I'm not going to whitewash this. I think the portico is fantastic. It's nice. And some of the additions to the White House have improved its look for sure. Uh, the British actually... Although they burned the White House in uh, the War of 1812, it actually happened in 1814. Uh, wouldn't it be the War of 1814 then? Well, the War of 1812, uh, it, you know, it went a little bit longer than 1812. That's the problem with naming a war after after when it starts. Like yeah, we, you shouldn't call it the, the year it starts. No, we could call the War on Terror the War of 2001, <laughs> but that would that would now seem a little bit funny. I call the Cola Wars the War of 1984. <laughs> Are you still fighting the Cola Wars? I'm still wars? fighting the rock and roller Cola Wars. <laughs> Um, But so the White House, when it was originally constructed, had no indoor plumbing, no running water within the building, uh, obviously no electricity. No Wi-Fi? No Wi-Fi. There were no, there were no uh, whatever, like weird hot tubs are probably in there now. Would running water and indoor plumbing have been unheard of in America as it is, or were were there nicer houses? No, right? No, no, no. They didn't exist. It was, I mean, you had kitchens in the White House and there were external bathrooms, um, like effectively outhouses. What if there was a little house that looked like the White House? It's like a miniature, <laughs> but it's got the door with the with the moon on it. Like a little shed. Yeah, that's that would be super charming. And I think, yeah, right. And then there's another one that looks like the stables. Um, one in a tree for the White House kids. <laughs> so as the as the years went on, right, as the 19th century progressed, every new development in home interiors, every new technology, you had to retrofit into the White House. So they added running water and indoor plumbing and electricity. Um, initially, it was lit by gas, like so many houses in the pre-electricity years. Uh, the first innovation was to pipe in gas and have gas gas lanterns as lighting, and then that was immediately supplanted by uh, ele- electricity. It's not unique to the White House. This is happening in cities all over America and all over the world. That you know, no sooner have you put in your pipes for gas and you know, the Joneses get electricity. Right. My mom's house was built in 1902 and it has the original gas pipes going through the walls. You should turn it into one of those pneumatic um, tube systems that where, where it's, you can send a message. Yeah. But the only thing you'd be able to send through there is a triple A battery because they're tiny. That's even better. Pipes. Oh, just send batteries yeah, just, around your house. Well, not bad, but you know, a battery sized compartment, you can roll up a little message inside or 
you could, you know, what kids would do is they would just send flies and spiders zooming all around the house, yeah. like little, little mini rockets. Again, not a thing that you actually want to have happen. <laughs> uh, but this is true. Anyone who's ever restored an old home, um, when you take the walls down, you'll see that they've, that each subsequent generation, as they added more electrical outlets or moved the bathroom around or improved the kitchen, um, they just drilled new holes through the supporting beams and put new piping in and new electrical work in. And over time, that can uh, compromise the integrity of the of the supporting wood. Well, even if you were doing nothing, you know, wood gets old, bugs get in it. 200-year-old buildings are not as sturdy as when they were built. Right. And also, you know, old buildings weren't often built on very sturdy foundations. Sometimes, I mean, like my house, the one we're sitting in right here, they just threw some rocks down on the dirt and started building a house on top of them. It's not. It's just, just a bunch of kids? It's not like, well, this I think. Is, do you live in the clubhouse of like a 1930s child gang? What's funny is that all these homes here in Seattle were built out of old growth lumber, but no one at the time presumed they would still be standing 100 years later. <laughs> that, that It was like, it was disposable. If you think about the Alaska Yukon Exposition up in the university the, district, the campus. those were all temporary buildings that they tore down, but absolutely they're, they were constructed better than anything built since 1950. Uh, but in the, in the case of the White House, you had another situation, which was every four or eight years, you had a new family move in. It's like being a landlord and having constant turnover and nobody takes care of the place because they know they're going to be gone in four years. That and also everyone wants to redecorate it and make it their own. And they have Congress and some a certain amount of redecorating budget to make major modifications to the house. And so a lot of presidents moved in and said, you know what, I'd like this bathroom over here. And in the great industrial era, presidents started to feel empowered to make major changes. And they would sell off stuff. Like Chester Arthur just like, just started selling stuff from the White House. Teddy Roosevelt sold a, uh, like a Tiffany lamp that was, you know, beautiful and priceless and got 250 bucks for it. And uh, yeah, all this stuff like, oh, John Adams left his underwear around, like I'm selling it off. I think finally, uh, maybe on Grace Coolidge's initiative, they had to pass a law saying you cannot sell stuff off from the White House. Contact the, you know, Smithsonian or somebody. Right. And, and unfortunately, that didn't end up... Um inhibiting people from getting rid of stuff out of the White House. Uh, the White House continued to bleed uh, beautiful decorative elements all the way up until the middle of the 20th century when we started to have this historic preservation idea. In the past, historic preservation, like the extent of it was just don't bulldoze this thing into the ground. Like if you left anything standing, it was, you, you were, know, it was you were a hero. Yeah, it was a triumph for, uh, for the heritage. Well, that was based on a presumption that everything is going to always get better. Right. So the more, the faster you bulldoze stuff, the quicker it gets better. New is better. New is better. And now we realize that things were a lot better. Everything's just constantly getting worse. Right. Entro just, entropy has convinced us that we need to preserve stuff. I mean, when you go to Athens, you go to see the Parthenon. You do not go to see the Athens post office that was built in 1960. Although maybe if it's still standing 2000 years from now, you will go see it. Uh, in, in, um, the 20th century really accelerated this process. Teddy Roosevelt, when he moved into the White House, he actually added the West Wing, which prior to that hadn't existed. He what was the TV show The West Wing called before that? It was called Inside the White House. It was called The Side Yard. Yeah, or it was called Second Floor. There is no West Wing. 
because uh, up until that point, the offices of the president and all of his staff were in the White House proper. Yeah, including the the Oval Office is part of the West Wing. There was no Oval Office. There was right? no Oval Office. It was the president's office was in the White House somewhere, and it didn't have a particular name except President's Office. And if you look at pictures of the president's office, it's just a room, just a square room. Does it have one of those like handwritten notes like my kids make, like hard at work, do n- <laughs> president at work, do not disturb, do not disturb. It, TR wanted to get the uh, the staff out, but keep them close, and so built the West Wing. And when you first go to visit the White House, or when you imagine it in your mind when you're younger, you think it's all happening in there. But if you go look at it carefully, the West Wing is an entire wing, and it's not part of the building you imagine as the White House at all. No, it's a it's a one story structure that kind of actually sort of tumbles down a hillside yeah. to the west of the White House. And after uh, the Gulf War, now they've built a kind of berm um, that protects it from the blast of a truck bomb, presumably. Uh, so now you can kind of, you o- you can only see the roof of it or you have to look over it. But it's often the site of those uh, iconic shots of press secretaries peering over hedges or, right. um, you know, those uh, those pictures where the president and his staff are walking along a colonnade outdoors. That's uh, outside that's the West Wing. On its way to the West Wing. And that was all built by Teddy Roosevelt. Have you been to the White House? Uh, n- never inside. I've been to the outside of it a bunch, but I've never, I, I never went through the whole process of like, I'm going to go on the tour. Partly it's not that I hate tours. And partly it's that I've always expected that my first visit to the White House will be to accept uh, an appointment. On, oh, I thought you meant you're the day of your inauguration. It, uh, well, I used to think that, uh, you know, that I would one day go into Paris at the front of a column of tanks, but that, uh, that desire slowly morphed. Uh, and now I realize I ran for Seattle city council a few years ago and I realize now I'm not born to be a politician, but you still maybe think you could be ambassador to Gabon or something. Yeah. I would accept an appointment to head of CIA. I think oh, I would be. A, right? I think I'd be a great head of CIA. Are you throwing your hat in the ring right now? Absolutely. In I this think episode in the current administration, they will eventually get to me as they run down all the candidates. Uh, I think I w- I've never tortured anyone. Well, walk us through some of your ideas. Uh, what are the changes you would bring to the agency? You know, I talk about this a lot. I'm pro spies on the ground. I want more spooks, as we used to call them. People in trench coats with fedora hats and sunglasses lurking in subway stations. You want more lurking. I want a lot more lurking. You want the pigeons in the park to get fed I want by a guy pretending to read a paper. That's exactly right. It's I a want, pro-pigeon uh, stance. I want dead drops. I want, uh, you know, I want spycraft, espionage. And I want fewer to know drones, and I don't think that whole NSA thing where they're tapping every phone in the world and using computers to to search for keywords, that's just not sportsmanlike. Let me ask you this. What about changes like uh, in the break room? Are there going to be snacks? I think there should be snacks. Yeah, I think, I mean... What about birthday parties? There like, are, does everybody have to pitch in for presents? Or? No, that's a, that's a terrible technique. You know, there are a lot of people that just don't want to have to pay for so-and-so's cake. Um, so and, who who does provide the cake in your CIA? Uh, you know what? Keep your birthday parties at home. It's a workplace. It's not a thing where you get to wear casual dockers. And, uh, you know, I think everybody goes back to black suits with, with skinny ties and appropriate wool skirts and so forth. Wow. I, I feel like that, that, you know, since we left that behind and people are just wearing cargo shorts everywhere we have declined in the quality of our intelligence. This is my, I mean, I have a whole CIA plan. Don't get me wrong. 
Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's all around birthday parties, but no, no cake, no, really, no for cake. your for your hardworking staff. No cake. I'm I'm afraid not. You know, if you want to have a birthday party, go to Chuck E. Cheese after work, like people used to do in the olden times. The the, the Chuck E. Cheese on on H Street. Yeah, I'm talking about umbrellas with poison in the tips. I'm talking about tunnels under the border. Where you can, you know, you sneak a bunch of spies. It back seems and like forth. you'd be delighted if your enemies were to do all this against you. Oh, absolutely! And this was you, you encourage it. This actually in, in your CIA, in your CIA, you're also spreading these ideas to your to your rival agencies. You remember the famous story of the uh, the American um, embassy in Moscow that was that when they finally completed building it after tens and tens of millions of dollars, they discovered that the structure was actually constructed with microphones throughout it because it was being made in Russia and it was contracted to these guys and they're just like putting <laughs> microphones all over it. And then the giant wooden seal behind the the desk of the ambassador, which was given as a gift of, of the children of Russia, uh, that it was a giant American seal carved out of wood, had a, just a big fat microphone right in the center of it. And it sat there for years. I remember when the, I think the Khrushchevs gave the Kennedy kids uh, one of the puppies of one of the space dogs. Oh, huh? And the CIA didn't want him to keep it. They're like, this dog is miked or this dog has plutonium uh, under its right. claws. Nobody wanted Caroline to have the puppy. Or the dog speaks English and is listening to everything <laughs> the dog, they say. The dog is reporting back to Moscow. You know, he meets somebody at a park bench way out in the middle of Alexandria, Virginia. It's dead like, drop is it's like burying a bone. <laughs> Full of microfiche. I think the CIA like had the dog for weeks trying to figure out what the angle was. And right. it turned out it was actually just a space puppy. Probing him and like, <laughs> right. what? It's your secret, dog. <laughs> They're waterboarding the poor dog. Caroline just wanted a puppy. Uh, th these were not problems that TR had to face because at the time his main uh, uh, adversary was Spain and they weren't putting microphones in the White House. No, they're a, a cheerful uh, uh, Mediterranean people. <laughs> they're having long tapas lunches. No, Nobody's going to be like, uh, you know, hey, what yeah. if we all go to the park later and... Uh, yeah, let's give the president's daughter a radium-soaked puppy. They're all like, it would be easier if we did not. <laughs> what kind of accent was that? They're Italian also. <laughs> When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. I have been to the uh, White House. Oh. Uh, and I did you I shake the president's hand? I did not. Although I saw one of the, uh, it was during the the second Bush administration, 
and I did a double take because I thought the president was in the room and it turned out it was one of like the loser bushes. It was like Neil or oh, Marvin. sure. Like some bush, with a, bush. some bush with a failed SNL somewhere, you yeah. know, the probably. One, he, he, had a, he had a beer, right? Marvin beer? I honestly don't know if it was Neil or Marvin. Yeah. But anyway, he was pointing something out and he looks a lot like the president. Sure, so they all do. We all did a double take. The thing I remember is that the uh, there are, are, are guards in every room. I'm sure Marines, Marines or whoever yeah. guards the White House. And they all know all the tour stuff, but these guys are Marines. They do not want to to be like, well, welcome to the treaty room uh, in 1896. Fascinating story. Uh, right. You know, they don't. Well, they're also 19. They don't want to do any of it, but they know it all because that's where they're posted. You sure. know, and uh, the, the woman, we, we were actually with the senator's wife and she actually knew all the stuff she had done this many times before, but she made all the Marines do it. She would like. She'd be like, now, isn't that portrait of Alexander Hamilton the only non-presidential portrait on this floor? And the poor Marine would be like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> this portrait was put up in 1908. It was a gift from... <laughs> poor guys. So you can get them to tell you the stuff, but they really don't want to. Yeah, well, you know, the, the Marines, uh, they're charged with a lot of guard duties. Actually, you know, I just went out to the Bangor uh, nuke submarine base and all the guards there are Marines. Even though it's a naval base. Mm -hmm. There's no other Marines there. but Nobody in the Navy is good enough at guarding things. They, they have to outsource all, it. Well, that's why you have the Marines. Because the Navy sucks at guarding things? No, because the Marines are the part of the Navy that does that work. They're very gung-ho. That's the thing about the Marines, but not about historical information. Right. They are not gung-ho about... Uh, the Marines are not really the topic of this episode. No, didn't I say uh, this entry is called... <laughs> what do the Marines Marine do? tour guys? <laughs> Semper Fi means long suffering. Um, the White House then was pretty drastically remodeled several times uh, in the 20th century. And this is after a hundred years of being sort of monkeyed with lightly or otherwise. Uh, but in 1927, Calvin Coolidge decided that the attic which spanned the building. The White House has an attic. The White House had an attic. Uh, Coolidge decided that it was a bunch of wasted space and it, you know, it probably had grandma's rocking chair and Dorian Gray's painting and, and you know, whatever. <laughs> it's a painting of an aging Calvin Coolidge. Whereas he's getting Vaseline rubbed into his head and he looks not a day over 40. Uh, Coolidge decided that the third floor needed to be turned into a floor. Uh, and so he went uh, through a pretty extensive remodel of the attic, including adding shed dormers along the length of it and turned it into a third floor. And this is because he liked CrossFit, I believe. It, well, he and was going to do CrossFit up there. Also, you know, it, uh, it added a lot to the property value <laughs> and, uh, and he had a much better view of the Washington monument from up there. Curb appeal. Everyone's always, you know, as the, as the white house staff expands, you want to crowd all these people in and, and the white house complex has, Quite a few buildings, the executive office building. I mean, they're, they're, it's really... Um, yeah, people it, work across the street. Right. They still say they work at the White House. It's really a constellation of buildings, but, but space is at a premium. So Coolidge uh, constructs this third floor, but the White House itself was built at a time when the outside walls are, are, are really sturdy sandstone walls yes. that were built on foundations, you know, very sturdy foundations of, of, uh, not unlike our nation itself. That's right. Footings that were quite deep and quite stable. But then the interior of the white house was just sort of built on dirt. I mean, the, the, um, the supporting walls and beams 
were not built on top of a very sturdy foundation like the outside walls. And you got somebody new hanging their posters every four years, right. f- filling and, the nail holes with toothpaste. And all these uh, all these beams have been plowed through with like, now we have gas, now we have water, now yeah. we have Wi-Fi. And so the additional weight of the, the upstairs, uh, uh, the weight prior had been distributed to the outside walls, which is what you do in architecture. You build it in such a way that the outside walls are, are bearing much of the weight. But in the process of, of building this additional attic, uh, a lot of the load was transferred to the interior walls. Which were not up to the job. Which were not really s- like f- on stable footing. And so the interior of the White House started to sink. Well, we talk about Calvin Coolidge like he's such a great guy. Fiscal responsibility, blah, blah, blah. But, but here, he's sinking the White House with his stupid CrossFit gym. He's sinking the White House. And what's curious is that the outside walls remain solid. and It's a metaphor for America in the 20th century. No, and the inside is rotten the white, to the core. The whitewashed outside <laughs> looks fine, but on the inside you got Haldeman saying something terrible in the Doonesbury font. And as the, as the structure started to bow, uh, the interior structure started to bow, the White House took on like some strange characteristics. There were sounds in the night. There were things, floors that felt a little wobbly. Um, if you put a marble down in, in the Lincoln <laughs> bedroom. In the, in the blue room, it would run to the China it room. It starts moving around uh, strangely. It sounds like it's haunted. Were there cold spots? There were a lot of, there, there, a lot of people felt like it was haunted. There were a lot of Obviously, cold spots. Uh, a headless uh, ghost of Mary Todd Lincoln wandering yeah. around. And Every, everyone was uh, like, you weren't, uh, you weren't, you weren't beheaded. beheaded. What, what's the deal? There were those two twin girls that always appeared at the <laughs> end of the hallway. Uh, and then a blood wave that came out of the elevator. Which president had twins? Were there? It, was it the? Was it uh, George W. Bush's twins? <laughs> was it Jenna and Barbara Bush? No, they were not twins, were they? I think so. Oh, they were twins, but fraternal twins. They can still be creepy twins. Yeah, I think. Well, let's leave that to another podcast. The the creepy twins of the White House will be a great episode of the Omnibus about a year from now. But you know, they added a lot of things during the 20th century, including an elevators into the White House. At a certain point, they they reconfigured, you know, not they didn't reconfigure major aspects of it, but it seemed like everything they did was every time they added something, they also subtracted something, including like uh, took away some interior walls that had been oh. formerly bearing some of that load, um, and then FDR moved in, and um, at a certain point, there was a campaign uh, that was somewhat some like partially sponsored by the March of Dimes to actually build a swimming pool for FDR because he had polio. He needed the kind of recuperative exercise of, uh, of swimming. So I guess it was publicly known that he had polio, even though they tried to not photograph him in the wheelchair. It was, uh, yeah, it was understood that he was mildly disabled, but in general, they tried to Portray him as hale and hearty is as that much tr- as possible. Is that tough at the height of the depression to get people behind giving the president a, a swimming pool? Well, it was a March of Dimes thing, like everybody give a nickel or something. And I think by that point... Uh, I would not give... Uh, one plug one, nickel? One plug nickel to give the president <laughs> today a swimming pool. Well, they built him a swimming pool, a beautiful swimming pool, actually in the West Wing. Uh, the long uh, the long colonnade that they walk along in, in so many old 
newsreels uh, actually was outside of this long, beautiful swimming pool. Isn't it, is it the press room now? Am I remembering that right? Yeah. So in 1970, Nixon decided that... Uh, he was a Quaker. He didn't believe in swimming. He didn't believe in swimming and he thought it was... He, he What Nixon liked to do was ruin everybody's fun. And so he turned it into the press room again as an effort to move <laughs> the press somewhere else, you know, somewhere they could be managed. Now, Gerald Ford wanted a swimming pool and actually had a swimming, another swimming pool constructed outside. Do you think that was the whole purpose behind Watergate? He was trying to force Nixon out and get the pool back? It was part of whip inflation now. <laughs> whip inflation now <laughs> and get me a swimming pool. <laughs> so by the time Truman occupied the White House in 1945 on the death of FDR, the White House was beginning to be like visibly unsafe. Shabby and probably most people didn't know it. Uh, most people didn't know it, although it started to be apparent because when they would have big balls in uh, the White House ballroom, the chandelier would sway, sway so much that the crystal aspects of it would tinkle. Yeah, and, Truman said it sagged and moved like a ship at sea. Yeah, and it started to, the, the, the Truman family recognized that the building was falling apart. And there was a bathtub above that, and Truman would joke that he might, at some point, fall into a reception naked <laughs> in his bathtub. And that would that would certainly shock the nation. Yeah, and and because uh, he was a very well endowed president, <laughs> as everyone knows, <laughs> he was a humble man. He was a humble man, but he didn't want to flaunt it. Uh, so through the whole first Truman administration, they were living in this house that was crumbling around them, and um, in 1948 actually a leg of their piano on the second floor fell through the floor, just <laughs> fell, fell through the floor. And it was deemed, I think rightly enough of an, uh, an emergency. Sure. That's his, his daughter is playing yeah. and suddenly clunk, like clunk. he's going to worry about Margaret falling through the floor at some point. Well, and with, uh, along with a piano, I mean, it's one thing to fall through the floor of the white house. It's another thing to ride a piano down. Is, is this some Oscar Wilde thing that I don't know? It is, <laughs> it is a tragedy to lose one's daughter, but it is an inconvenience to lose one's daughter, but a tragedy to lose one's piano. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the commission on the renovation was formed and they went about kind of taking the floor up and the walls apart and looking inside. And the Truman's moved out. Well, not yet. Oh, they're still looking. Yeah. They're the, this commission is like, let's see what's going it's on an exploratory here. panel. And they realized that the, uh, the only thing holding up the white house was just tradition. Uh, there was no <laughs> there, patriotism. Like it was structurally completely unsafe and unsound and falling apart. Well, at this same time, Harry Truman wanted to add his own modification to the White House, which was the Truman Balcony. Oh, yeah. So on the, on the colonnade facing the back, if you look at very old photographs of it through most of the White House's history, it's, a, it's an, an empty space. The, the, the pillars go from the roof down to the ground, and the second floor had some ratty-looking awnings, and they would stand under the awnings and give speeches and so forth. And Truman wanted to put a balcony that was inside of that colonnade, and it was a classic example of a thing that when he proposed it, there was a lot of public outcry, it was going to ruin the White House, it was an unnecessary expense. And so Truman paid for it himself. Really? Yeah. And had this, and every single person that said, uh, and all the committees in the Congress and the newspapers, all chastising him for this outlay. And he just 
he pish poshed them all and said, no, this is going to improve the look of the White House and it's going to be this, you know, nice addition for the family. And so in 1948, he had the Truman balcony constructed. Uh, and I think almost immediately, everyone agreed it did improve the White House. Because you don't want big awnings in the middle of your national symbol. Did they have to redo the 20 and get rid of the awnings? No, I think the 20 wasn't, they, they hadn't <laughs> chosen that design yet. Um, but every president subsequent has said that that Truman balcony is one of their favorite places in the White House. And that's a, you know, it's a private place that they can sit. Big deal. There's been like eight presidents since then. Yeah. Eight people said they liked it. Well, yeah, so what? Eight people liked the KLF, I bet. And all their family uh, also. <laughs> but I've actually looked upon the White House from on the outside of the fence and seen the first family up there. You couldn't quite pick out who was who, but people moving around on the second balcony. It's a nice place. But by 1948, the only sturdy part of the White House was the Truman Balcony. <laughs> um, everything <laughs> that else was That was his plan. Apart. He's going to rush to there when the rest of the building collapses. And it was clear that they needed to fix it, but Truman was afraid that if they went public with the revelation that the White House was rotten to its core, that it would be too juicy a metaphor during his reelection campaign in 1948. Uh. And so he didn't want to initiate a restoration of the White House while he was campaigning. Uh, it felt like just too good to be true. It's a little too on the nose, Yeah, right? and particularly since he just completed the Truman Balcony uh, it was a little bit like, now now we're going to rebuild the entire White House. But once they left, once the Trumans left on the campaign trail, and this is in an era when they got on a railroad car and started cooking around America, um, it was understood that there needed to be a dramatic renovation and structural. So the walls were still fine. It was just the interior was at, was at risk of collapsing into the dirt. So when Truman returned from his victory in 48. Spoilers, Dewey loses. Uh, Dewey loses, that's right. Um, they moved not back into the White House, but across the street. And for effectively the remainder of the Truman administration, they lived outside the White House. Blair House. In the Blair House, that's right. And which is today used what it's like for is visiting dignitaries stay there. Yeah. Or? It's like a, um, you know, they've, they've blocked off Pennsylvania Avenue and that whole area now is kind of a white house park and Blair house is yeah. For dignitaries. And if you need to go over there and prepare for a speech, I think you can go walk around the Blair house. Unless like Justin, unless Justin Trudeau is hanging out there or something. Yeah. And I'm sure he'd be cool with that. He'd be in his tennis shorts and he'd high five you. Netanyahu's and, out mowing the lawn. <laughs> hey, keep it down. <laughs> Um, so when we look at the White House from outside, we think of it as this building that survives yes. from 1800. But in fact, they gutted it. And I mean gutted it from floor to ceiling. So um, in, in many ways, what we have today is a, a like a recreation. It's like Colonial Williamsburg of the White House. That's right. It was gutted all the way down to dirt floors. And there are <laughs> pictures of it with like bulldozers inside of the frame of the White House, all wow. the windows gone. And for four years, it sat there being rebuilt by a whole rogues gallery of uh, shifty contractors, civil engineers and architects and people that were appointed by the Congress and committees where there was some amount of patronage. And Truman took a very active role in deciding what all went in there. And midway through, we got embroiled in the Korean War. 
So suddenly we were at war and there was a question whether or not we'd be able to afford to finish the inside of the White House, which seems like a weird thing for Congress to hold over your head. <laughs> right. Like We're just going to have to leave the White House empty. Sorry, we're going to put in water slides and it's going to be a water park <laughs> on the edge of town. And Truman's way too busy now to like, people are like, do you like these drapes or these drapes? And he's like, I'm trying to figure out Inchon Reservoir. <laughs> I'm firing MacArthur. Leave me alone. But uh, but in fact, he main, he kept really in, engaged in it. And you could see how fun that would be as he's sitting. Oh, so the West Wing, having been more recently constructed, uh, the West Wing survived. Ah. And they, and FDR's swimming pool and the Oval Office and all of the offices of the White House were still part of the business. That's where, that was where Truman did his work. It was just the family residence was across the street. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. But he, he stayed very engaged in, the, in rebuilding it. And when they were rebuilding it, they tried as best they could to make it look like it had always looked. They kept, they kept a lot of the woodwork they preserved as much as they could of the old, the old design, although they kept nothing of the interior. There are places in the White House where you can still see scorch marks in the, in the lowest basement uh, from the from burning 1814. in 1814. But when they tore it apart, they found that a lot of the burned wood had been reused in reconstructing it in 1814. <laughs> so they just like had a bunch of charred beams around and repurposed them. So... Even then, and and now, I'm not sure exactly architecturally and structurally what what else could have been done, but they gutted it to the bottom, and then as they began the reconstruction and had been had made some progress, this was the period when Truman began what was called Project Nine, which was to construct. In, Is this about UFOs? Uh, well, it could be. It uh, in the basement of the White House, they dug out several stories and tunnels. Oh, this is the bunker. To make the bunker for uh, the eventual nuclear confrontation. Truman is our first president of the atomic age. That's right. And this was, uh, and we've talked about it on Omnibus before, the uh, the continuity of government question, the, you know, how are we going to um, keep our nation's, like, executive apparatus all running and in good stead. Um, and so down under there, you know, this is the White House Situation Room and things like that. And it, it put a, a tremendous additional expense in building the White House, but it came from a different fund. You oh, know, that's, a, is that the Defense Department? The is... Black Fund, as they were building uh, this warren of escape routes and 
and uh, crazy, you know, other bits. But it's where uh, it's where George Bush went on nine eleven. He went down to the the Truman bunker. Uh, George th- Bush was in Florida and went into his airplane. And but when he was rushed back, <laughs> flew. Well, he wasn't rushed back. Remember, he flew around <laughs> later that day. <laughs> eventually, you've seen the uh, you've seen the Afghani carpet where he's reading my pet goat. Yeah. Yeah, nine <laughs> eleven, and and kind of looking blankly off into space, like, hmm, that seems weird. I'm gonna, that's the car, that's the nine eleven carpet I'm going to get. I think. Um, as they were rebuilding it, they were able to uh, make it um, not just structurally sound, but they added air conditioning, which, if you've ever been to Washington D.C. in August, you know is a tremendous innovation. And you try to imagine presidents for 150 years doing business in Washington, D.C. in August, it's, uh, I, I tip my hat to them. But now it was a climate-controlled environment. They built a bowling alley and a barber shop and a doctor's office and a dentist's office and a, a town square and a, a, <laughs> a, a ye olde ice cream not, shoppy. It's not Main Street USA in Disneyland. <laughs> but they did, you know, they did build a lot of stuff. Yeah, no, they, it's called the Truman Bowling Alley to this day, I think. If he had been into uh, racquetball, it'd be a whole different ballgame down there. A whole, literally, literally a different ballgame. And the, I think the main thing that they changed about the formal reception rooms is the, the the main stair that you would come down to give your ceremonial like hellos. Is now an escalator. Uh, no, it's a big, beautiful stair. And it used to be kind of just like, oh, and here's the stairs. <laughs> like a, <laughs> like a, It was a staircase, but it wasn't a glamorous sort of uh, Buckingham Palace style staircase. Uh, and so eventually in 1952, really close to the end of Truman's tenure, um, at the cost of five and a half million dollars, they completed the rebuilt White House, which uh, they moved back into. And I think uh, cost overruns and construction overruns had pushed the completion date, you know, sort of endlessly back until one of the construction I guess what you would call developers. What would you call them? Contractors. Uh, contractors made a joke to Truman, like, oh, you'll be back in by summer. And Truman went and had a press conference and was like, I'll be back in by summer. And they were like, oh, no, we were just kidding. So they had to like uh, race to the finish. The 22nd Amendment had already been passed. So Truman knew he was not living there past, uh, he knew he was limited to two terms. Yeah. And he would not be living there past 1952. No, although he was only elected to public office one time. Uh, oh, he could have run again. That's right. He inherited the office from FDR. And in fact, he's specifically exempted from the 22nd Amendment. It says apart from the current sitting president. Right. So he could have stayed in office. To, uh, to enjoy the new White House. To enjoy the new White House. But um, he decided he didn't like bowling that much. Well, or? I think he was he was still in that generation that did not covet power unto themselves. And uh, at the end of his terms, he he gracefully bowed out. I don't think you could say that about the last six presidents. Um, like, I think Reagan aged out of it, but Bill Clinton would still be president if he we would. let him. Yeah, Obama was kind of burned out, I think. Yeah, Obama was ready or to Michelle move on. Was. Uh, the, uh, you know, I've heard that before, because of budgetary reasons, you know, they, they got the public-facing parts of the White House looking pretty good, but there are still parts, you know, the private unseen parts still looked kind of shabby after the Truman reconstruction. And they ke- they kept building even after the family moved in and and into the Eisenhower oh, administration right? and and you know if if you've ever lived in a house that was undergoing a remodel which I know you have it's a nightmare. Um you're you're trying to live and brush your teeth and have dinner and go to bed and there are people walking on plastic swinging hammers in your own house all day. Everything tastes like drywall. 
Yeah, but that was, I think, extend. You know, as time went on, it was confined to more and more sort of the parts of the White House that weren't being actively used. But some stuff must not have been finished because, you know, that one reason why Jackie Kennedy was kind of bummed when she went through the White House, you know, she said a lot of it just looked like an airport hotel because some of the stuff that the Truman Reconstruction ran out of money before parts of it looked nice. Yeah, well, Jackie said that also about Buckingham Palace. So that seemed to be the the go-to comparison that Jackie made when she was touring Grand Homes. But it's true that they ran out of money for the decorative elements. And uh, a department store offered a free free line of credit or actually uh, offered to outfit the White House with furniture. Was it Ikea? Um, no, it was a department store called the B. Altman uh, Company, like outfitted the White House with furniture and so forth. But it was not... Uh, did they get like uh did they get a, a advertising out of it? Was it like no, in fact guests of the match game seventy nine stay at? In fact, the uh the offer was accepted only on the condition that they not mm. be able to refer to it. And they didn't. They were proud to not use it in advertising because of it because it was an era where integrity was different. But it was not up to the standards. Um Mamie Eisenhower did not think it was very fitting that the White House be so deprived and in fact went out and started a campaign and uh, and Jackie did did something very similar uh, to find furnishings and uh, things that had that were formerly from the White House and buy them off the antiques market and they asked people to return them if stuff that had been there in yeah, decades past if you if you'd gone to a fire sale and and bought a vase, from the White House, you know, bring it back. And and it's part of our American... Is it like an amnesty? We'll ask yeah. no questions. Yeah, I think. I mean, uh, gradually they recovered quite a few of the of the old White House elements. Well, Jackie famously hosted the TV special where she brought people into the White House. But, uh, you know, I, I read that Truman did the same thing after the Reconstruction, that he actually hosted a TV special where he had cameras come in and show off the work that your tax dollars had paid for. And that's that's the beginning of a new era for the American public to get a glimpse inside the White House. Well, that's something that had never happened before in the history of the Republic. Yeah, this was part of the popularization of politics worldwide, where things that had formerly been mysterious and had some of their power was imparted by their inaccessibility. And Truman was like just some, you know, small town... Haberdasher. Missouri haberdasher who had maybe never finished college, I think. Uh you know, so that's unique to his era that he's kind of a, you know, he's the last common man president showing you around. Sure, a real plain spoken fellow that's like, hey, now over here, you see, we got this new bathroom. It's got these flush toilets in it. Right. Or these flush turlets in it. Um, I guess is they did not put the water closets in the in the TV special. I don't think they did it on the Jackie Kennedy one. <laughs> and if you've ever seen Jackie Kennedy give uh, her tour of the White House, you understand why it's a it was a famous event. I mean, she's extraordinary, extraordinarily glamorous and and... I think the picture of a of a late 50s, early 60s hostess, you know, very gracious and makes you feel extremely welcome in the White House. You know, it was a um, it was a TV moment, one of the original TV moments. And that all would have gone away if you'd seen her flush a toilet, for sure. The magic would be gone. Well, 
I don't know. You're married. I'm not. So I don't know that much about losing the magic uh, when you <laughs> when you end up spending some time in the bathroom with one another. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you had some fetish for Jackie Kennedy flushing toilets. No, no, no. no far from it. In fact, uh, the opposite know, of that. I still when I'm you know when I'm dating someone, I'm like you spend your toilet time somewhere else, and I will do mine on the other side of the house. Offsite. Yeah. You need to go to the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, please. <laughs> Take that business to the West Wing. <laughs> Um, we're actually sitting in the West Wing of my home. It's nice. Yeah, it's the South Wing. Was this built after? It was, yeah. Uh, it was actually built by Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> That's weird that he just came by. <laughs> was he a hobo? Uh, by that point in time, yeah. Coolidge was looking for work and he was he, like, I'll do this. He stole a pie from my windowsill and uh, built <laughs> left, left his little hobo mark on the <laughs> fence post. He built a mark being, we'll let you build a room on rocks. Anyway, the White House as we know it today is this uh, construction, this Truman construction. More, uh, more Truman than, than anybody. Like it's, it's not the original building in a lot of ways, even though the exterior is the same. It's not the original building in any way. Um, the Truman balcony, the Truman bowling alley, they all survive. <laughs> the Truman show, we call it. The, uh, the FDR swimming pool does not survive. And in fact, the, pre the, uh, the Brady press room, which was named for James Brady uh, after the fact, has now also moved. George uh, W. Bush decided that that was uh, too small and also too close. And so they built a new press room for the press. And I think uh, our current president is probably going to move the press to Maryland. Uh, the press room is going to end up being in Pittsburgh. He's going to move them to camps in Montana, I believe. <laughs> and that concludes the Truman Reconstruction. Entry 1343.LK1428, certificate number 47967, in the omnibus. Listeners, we certainly hope that social media does not exist in your era, that you're free of its plague, its scourge. But, just so you know, in our time, the early 21st century, John and I could not get enough of it. We were available at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on Twitter and Instagram, in John's case. The show was at Omnibus Project, and email still existed mm -hmm. in the distant past. Email, a thing that I really prefer to direct communication. When do you think the White House got email? Pretty early on. I bet .gov was, was uh, being used by people at the White House. I don't think a president really used email, probably for a lot longer. I'm fairly confident that George Herbert Walker Bush never sent or received an email. Like in his life, like even in his 90s, his grandkids weren't sending him. I'm sure somebody is reading reading emails to him, yeah. The, um, uh, but you know, people keep asking me to hop on calls and I'm sure that futurelings will have uh, found a way to eliminate that problem. Um, anyone... Yes, your, your death. Your, your death has solved the problem of people asking you to hop on calls. No, I... I well, me personally, but I think that it just evolutionarily... Any being that asks other beings to hop on a call yeah. will die out. It's vestigial behavior. It's yeah. like an appendix or a tail. But you and I are dealing with the tail end of these people That's right. that want us to hop on calls yep. all the time. And we are like, no, we are the new breed of man. Yes. We do not hop on calls. No. Uh, I said the other day that I'd rather jump off a bridge than jump on a call. And did you mean it? <sighs> Depends. Well, if it's a low bridge and it's a sunny day. What, yeah. if it, what if it's a really good call? Jump off into the pond. I'm trying to think of what a good call would be. 
The president um, calls you to uh, ask you to be a CIA director. I would take that call. Really? You wouldn't be like, can you send me an email with some of the bullet points? No, I would hop on a call. I mean, I don't want to talk to the president, but I do want to be the director of CIA. So oh, I would have to figure out a way. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. It's the president of the United States. Even if you don't like him or agree with him, I'm going to take a call from the president. If somebody says, please hold for the president, you wouldn't just hang up? No. No would, way, man. I would hold. I would hold. <laughs> I'm Yes, I'm here. I will take this call. Because <laughs> who knows what he's going to say? You're going to have a story. Yeah. You're going to have a heck of a story. I mean, you know, if, the, if somebody said, please hold for Elon Musk, I would hold just on the off chance that he's like, I've got a million dollars I don't know what to do with. I was going to burn it or nail it into a frame, but now I've decided I'm going to give it to you, struggling artist. I mean, you know you're not going to, you're not one of these athletes who's going to be roped into a photo op with him, uh, the president. So you're not worried about that when he calls. Like, no, you, have, you have little to lose. I, it might be one of those things where he's like, I'm going to pardon a Thanksgiving turkey and that turkey is you. I'm going <laughs> to name some people and you say whether you would hop on a call with them. All right, go. Benjamin Netanyahu. Yes, I would hop on a call with him. Vladimir Putin. Absolutely. Kim Jong-un. The dictator of North Korea. Yes, I would hop on a call with either any of those people. Betty White. Yes, that would be fun. <laughs> the guys from the KLF. Oh, yeah, I would hop on a call with them. The people I don't want to hop on the call, hop on a call with, are publicists who are trying to talk to me on the phone when they could send me a two sentence email. Mm. I don't want to hop on the phone with people who uh, are paying me to do an event, and then they want to talk to me. For an hour. That's special for them. That's about they what I'm going to do. That's part of what they bought. Like you're paying me to do the event. I will do the event. I don't want to have you collaborate with me on it. <laughs> like you person that works at a place. You didn't pay me for, for us to do the no, event. No, if you, if you want to be part of it, then you have to double my, my fee. So John loves email. Do not call him at his home number. Right. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure it's disconnected in your time. If somehow you have access to the email servers of our century, you can reach us at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. You can also seek out the relics of the Futurelings, the Facebook fan group of our era. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no, lo uh, no idea how long the current White House survived. Uh, what if it, they only get 50 years out of this? One? Oh, I guess they already have. What if they only get 70 years out of this one? Right. I mean, well, when you think about it, like 1950 is not what we think of when we think of the most enduring age of, of architecture. Like, architecture and contractors. Right. I mean, they did a good job. They spent a lot of money rebuilding this house. Um, but they built the Seattle Public Library in 1950 also. And they just recently, well, 15 years ago, Tore it down because it had become an unusable rat's warren. Um, so who knows? You're so, right. So who's harder on a building, the homeless in the library or, uh, you know, the Bush daughters? It's hard to say. I think that probably when they put in high-speed internet into the White House, they probably uh, did it in an, a non-intrusive, you know, structurally unintrusive way. Uh, also probably unobtrusive. And maybe when they were building uh, the Truman White House, they, they left conduit open for some future that they couldn't have predicted. You know, this was a, I forgot to mention that in 1950, the, the idea that the Russians would be putting microphones in the, in the White House was not foreign to them. Right. And a big part of what made the construction complicated was that it was a high security environment. So I'm sure they thought, a certain amount about the future and left and you know you don't have to burrow through these concrete 
beams in order to put um, cable TV. Maybe the White House exists uh, in our listeners' future then as well. If it was, it may be the only thing that survives. Life. It may be the the Statue of Liberty buried in the sand. Um, we hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come. Certainly. We both hope to live forever, or at least until we get super tired. Yeah, you or I would certainly benefit from the world not ending uh, soon. Soon, right? But if it does, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if the gods in heaven allow, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus. Mm-hmm.